Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clark Deals is where you go to save money throughout the day and night, every day of the week. Our Clark Deals staff, our deal diggers, are looking for bargains for you. Uh, Deal or no deal, Equifax, with the ability to claim for compensation if your identity was compromised in the Equifax data breach, well, even if you already applied, now your application may be void to receive compensation. That is today's Clark Rage, and I'll tell you in just a little while what you need to know. And I want to talk about California's move to treat people that work for Uber and Lyft and all the delivery services that deliver food and things like that, to make them employees instead of independent contractors. I'll tell you where I feel that is a good thing, where I think that's a bad thing. And I want to tell you right now, with the news that has continued to morph over the last several days about gasoline prices because of the drone attack on Saudi oil facilities that the initial reports about what it was going to do to your and my wallet have proven false and the effects financially are going to be significantly less than at first expected. The Saudis are in a position where although the video from the oil fields looked really, really rotten. The reality is repairing the facilities is going to happen much quicker than initial reports. The Saudis are so important to the price of oil because they represent such a huge chunk of world oil production. And so half of their oil production being taken offline was a big number in the mix of how much inventory there is, and what you and I would pay. But now the Saudis look like they're going to have full production back up in just a few weeks instead of what might have been several months. So the initial report's wrong about the extent of the damage. The repairs will be much quicker. In addition, it is the fall, and that's a slow time of year for oil consumption and by the way, don't go post how it's not fall for a few more days. We're just going with this being fall. But this is the time of year, I'll say after Labor Day, that demand declined significantly for uh, gasoline and in turn the oil needed to generate that gasoline. And so we were already in the time of year that prices go steadily lower. You add in that uh, some countries are in recession now. Not a good thing, but it's a good thing in what you pay for gasoline. And we're having a bit of an economic slowdown in the United States ourselves. So demand is down. Plus, we have such enormous production now in the United States. And I think about the contrast from a decade ago when we produced very little oil in the United States and we had the severe supply shortage, prices hit an average of over $4 a gallon in the U.S., 
and a barrel of oil went to $147 a barrel back 10 years ago. Right now, the, the price of a barrel of oil is, well, what is the last trade? The last trade is at $60. So not even close to circumstances of what happened 10 years ago. And so we're going to be just fine. You may see a spike of maybe a dime a gallon, some places maybe as much as a quarter a gallon, but it'll be very short before the prices come back down to where they are. Don't worry. Be happy. This is not going to be a major event for your wallet. And Inman is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Inman. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good, thank you. You have a question for me about saving for your future. That's right. Um, I am with a corporation that recently stopped matching the 401k. Why do they hate you there? (laughs) Well, we got bought up by a parent company, and the parent company decided to to make those changes. To let you know how much they value you by not giving you any match on the 401k. So I assume that they replace that with this massive pension they're going to pay you someday. <laughs> well, uh, no, they didn't. <laughs> okay, so uh, you are on your own then, saving for your future. They do give you access to a 401k, just no match for it. Right. All right. And so I'm, I'm currently contributing 4%, and... I was thinking about whether it would be a good idea to start putting it in a Roth instead of the 401k since they're not matching. Well, it depends. When the, when the new company acquired the old one, did they change who the 401k provider was? Yes. And do you happen to know, have they given you anything on how much the expenses are you have to pay to be in that 401k at the employer? No, I'm currently investigating that. I know that's something I need to look into. So that's how you, that's one of the ways you make the decision. Also, do they give you option with the new employer for a Roth 401k instead of just the traditional? Yes. So how old are you? I'm 47. And uh, in general terms, what is your family income? Are you single or married? I'm single. I make a, make about 90, 90K a year. All right. So at 90K, you were better off doing the Roth 401K than the traditional. Okay. Because what the tax rates are right now for you are low enough. It may not feel like it when you do your tax return, but they're low enough that the Roth is a long-term better play for you. So okay. if the new employer... The, the company that bought you all out, if they offer very low costs in the 401k plan, including, you know, there's administrative costs they charge you, if in total you pay less than half a percent, then it'd be fine for you to participate in the Roth 401k there because it's automatic. It just comes out of your check and it's done. On the other hand, if it's higher than that, you can go set up your own Roth IRA at any of the low-cost companies I have on my investment guide and pay right. total expenses of less than 0.2 of a percent. That's a big difference. 
Yeah, so that's the advantage of doing the Roth. But it's possible that your employer offers an ultra-low-cost 401k plan. And if they do, then I'd like for you to stick with that just because, even with the best of intentions, you may not get the money in the Roth IRA, but it automatically goes in the Roth 401k. Right, and that is a big advantage, not having to have the discipline. Right. So the alternative, if it turns out the expenses are high, set it up where you automatically fund the Roth IRA each month, where the money's automatically deducted and goes into the, the Roth account, and that way you don't let life get in the way and you get the money in there. Okay. Thank and, you very much. And maybe what? your employer will decide that they really value you instead of just saying they do and start offering a match on that 401k. Karen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Karen. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Karen. How can I be of service to you? Well, uh, we are moving from Colorado to Florida. We've sold our home here and going to rent in Florida for a few months, so I'll have to take out a new mortgage. And my question is, we also have a student loan for my son for his undergrad and I'm wondering if there's any way to roll that into the new mortgage or if I have to get out a HELOC again or if that's a bad idea. Um, because the interest rate on the student loan is 4.75. Yeah, at 4.75, it would probably be best to leave that as it is. Okay. Because okay. that's actually a fairly low rate uh, on what so many student loans are so okay that's good because i really don't want to use the cash up because we don't have a whole ton of cash saved back but yeah so um, leave that be and okay the the only issue you might face is the is the amount on the student loan a large amount or small amount uh it was 102,000. we've got <gasps> 75 left that's a lot. <laughs> he went to some very expensive schools. <laughs> I guess so. And these loans are your responsibility, not his? Yeah, this is an undergrad loan, and he's got his grad loans that are even worse. So. Wow. So the only yeah. thing you may face, and it's just a may, it's not a will, is that your overall indebtedness may be a problem when you go to mortgage underwrite for your new home in Florida, and you'll just have to wait and see how they judge your overall debt versus uh, what you're trying to qualify for in that mortgage. Right. It hasn't been before. We just moved a year and a half ago here and had no problem. Okay. But um, my next question having to do with that is the reason we're moving back to Florida is because I can't get your radio show out in Colorado. Oh, (laughs) well, that's why we have the podcast. And we have radio affiliates in Colorado, just maybe not where you are. Exactly. I've tried. Okay. um, So I understand that since we've um, only owned our house for a year and a half, we made about 50,000 on it, reselling it. And um, I understand that if your job takes you more than 50 miles away, that you're relieved of all or some of that capital gains. Yeah, it becomes becomes a ratio. And so you are likely to follow, to qualify if it's a work-related move for what's known as a partial exclusion of gain. 
And okay. and so the rules for work related are I haven't had anybody ask me this question in probably two years. But hmm. anyway, uh, if you transfer to a new job fifty miles further from home than your old work location, then you are eligible for a partial exclusion of gain. And I'll give you the IRS publication number. Only right. read the publication when you are really, really alert. Don't read it near bedtime <laughs> unless it helps you fall asleep at night. But it's pu- publication 523. Okay. All right. So that will be I was just wondering if there was any way to, to keep all of it, but perhaps not. Well, <clears throat> it'll be a big help to you. Okay. Being able All right. To ratio exclude gain and um or however an accountant would say that. And so right. that's where the job relocation is helpful. And I hope you enjoyed the move. So now you have to water ski instead of snow ski. Yeah, that's okay with me. <laughs> oh man, I love snow skiing. Well, I do too, but it's gotten so expensive here it's kind of prohibitive. Yeah, so. it, it is amazing when you go to the fancy mountains. Lift tickets now are $150 a day to go skiing. That's a crazy amount of money. Today's Clark Rageous Moment is a continuation of the story involving Equifax and the aftermath of the egregious, grossly negligent data breach at Equifax that exposed the information of 150 million American adults, roughly two in three adults were exposed in the Equifax data breach. And Equifax reached a settlement with the feds and a bunch of states on compensation that might be available to you. Now Equifax has just thrown up a new roadblock that I need to tell you about in today's Clark Rageous Moment. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. So Equifax conned the states and the feds in the settlement that they reached. And it's just puny, puny what Equifax has to pay. And then they got upset about how many people filed for compensation of $125. That's all for uh, people who because of the breach, have been having to do things to monitor their credit and the rest. And so now Equifax is kicking out all the claims of people who filed since the settlement was announced unless you go do an additional step that nobody seems to know about. So you'll end up getting $0 in compensation if you don't follow the additional step that must be taken by the 15th of October. So yeah, basically four weeks to do this. Now I have at Clark.com what you got to do to re-verify your application for the $125. And this is, this is just unbelievably arrogant on the part of Equifax and mean-spirited. And it shows that uh, they qualify under that sorry, not sorry kind of thing. And again, the settlement reached was really taking advantage of the American people. And that is 
again, another thing that is Clark Rages. So let's talk about something completely different. Joel, oh, again, you can see that stuff at Clark.com, so you make sure you have a proper application. Joel, hit me with an Ask Clark here. All right, Clark. Michael wrote in, and he says, I've transferred the balance on three credit cards with no fees to a 0% card for 15 months. Should I close those other credit card accounts? Nope. Leave those accounts open unless the only exception is if you'd be tempted to start charging them up again. But as far as what it does to your credit report, what it does to your credit mix, and what it does to your score, all those factors, you're best off leaving those cards open. And if you can handle avoiding getting into trouble with them, use them just twice a year for small purchases so they stay active in your credit scoring. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main action, our main website, our deal site, ClarkDeals.com. So California, much in the news for passing legislation that passed overwhelmingly that will make people who work for app-based companies employees of those companies instead of independent contractors. So think DoorDash, Uber, Lyft, any app-based service that the people who work for that organization who are not employees today will be starting in January. And states have been all over the place about this. Some states have specifically passed laws that say that people who work for app-based services are not employees under state law. But the reality is there's been a strong movement by employers to hire people as independent contractors, even some very large corporations laying people off on Friday as an employee, hiring them back Monday as an independent contractor, losing all the benefits that they have through that employer, but they still get a paycheck, usually through a staffing agency that they immediately go to work for and they get the dreaded contractor badge. you familiar with the dreaded contractor badge? Anybody who works for a large company, the contractor badges are usually a different color, different look, and it tells everyone there that you are a second-class citizen. And it's a fact of life in corporate America that someone who goes from being an employee to a contractor, what they lose is, you know, one day people are going to say, where's Jim or where's Mary? And they say, oh, I don't know. And they were not let go because they weren't an employee. They were just a contractor. So there you are. You, uh, you're just not there one day. Poof, gone. So uh, this is something, if you've heard me talk about this in the past, I think what is coming to a head is that we need some kind of method of employment for people that is different between being a traditional employee with all the benefits that comes with and being an independent contractor with nothing as a benefit. 
And so you look at the stakes involved. Uber and Lyft have been freaking out, saying that their labor costs will go up 20 to 30% in California if they have to treat people as employees. So what does that tell you? It tells you that the reason organizations treat people not as employees is to save all kinds of money, like not pay people any vacation time, not pay for people's health care, not have to pay any severance, not having to pay for unemployment compensation. Any of the things that someone gets as an employee of a place normally, suddenly they go from all to nothing. So what I think we need is a lot of people benefit from being able to schedule up or schedule down, you know, work more hours, work less, whatever, is that instead we need to look at having benefits for people who work in different kinds of capacities that are based on a ratio formula. You work half time, you get half the benefits. You work a quarter time, maybe you get no benefits. So there be a threshold where you qualify for benefits and ratio to how close or far you are from working full time. But the current system of offer on is exploiting workers and harmful to workers. There are people who don't want or need any of those things and are just fine working completely independently. But there are many more who are actually being starved for benefits because of the way employers exploit this and use the status of calling somebody an independent contractor as a way to take rights away from people and take compensation away from people, like access to decent health care coverage. So I think that between what California's done and what most employers are doing with the dreaded contractor badge and the gig stuff and all that, there is a reasonable path that we need to pursue as a country that actually helps with some of the income inequality that we're seeing so much of in the United States. And by the way, this is a moving target, a moving topic. If you feel that I'm missing a very important piece of this, I'd love it if you'd go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and post where you feel I'm missing part of the puzzle, part of the picture. Know that with so many things we deal with today, there is not a right answer. And there's so much we can learn from each other to get to the best answer. Bob is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Bob. Hey, Clark. Good afternoon. So, Bob, you were looking at doing something at work, and you're worried about the stuff I talk about, about people being afraid, like me, that nothing stays anonymous. Exactly. Exactly right. I've heard you say many times about uh, be careful on employee engagement surveys, and uh, we're staring down the barrel at one right now, and um, just want to know, get your advice on this. Should I be sincere, truthful, and honest? And and should I, if I am, should I be concerned about any, uh, uh, you know, uh, concern in the future that someone's going to track me down and and uh, 
uh, you know, identify me or, or uh, create a, uh, you know, somewhat of a hostile work environment. If I answer a survey question um, in a, you know, negative way. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't answer the survey if you got something negative to say. I want to share a little story with you. You know, you've heard this opinion from me. I've, I've had this opinion for years that I don't trust that surveys are anonymous. So I just went to the website of a business that I, I was a customer of, didn't provide any personal information, but left a compliment about an employee there. And would you believe I got an email earlier today addressed to me, thanking me for what I said about the employee, and I'm like, okay, how did they know it was me? Because they didn't have my email address, nothing. I just went to their site and left a comment, and they somehow knew it was me. I mean, that's freaky, right? Yes. So when an employer says a survey is anonymous, I can't trust that because you're in their system and think how much more they know about you than this company, big company, knew about me as just a customer going to leave a comment. Right. And I'm dying to know how they figured it was me. So, So leave nice things about whatever you feel like saying nice things about and omit anything that might come back to burn you. Great. Will do, Clark. Thank and you that for means everything. The, the employer it. fails to learn if they really are serious about learning things that would make the organization run better. I'm defeating that if they really were straight up legitimately wanting to do that. But I'm too worried about your career and the effect on it if you do answer a survey honestly. Kate's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kate. Hi, how's it going, Clark? Great, thank you, Kate. How can I serve you today? I'm trying to decide if I should convert my traditional IRA money to Roth IRA in case I want to do a mega backdoor Roth in the future. That is a brilliant question that is so phenomenally complicated, people's eyes glaze (laughs) over. So let me set background. You're earning more and more money in what you do, which makes you ineligible to participate in doing a Roth IRA. And if you have any regular IRA money hanging out there, it defeats a weirdo strategy called the backdoor Roth, where you can put money in this obscure thing called a non-deductible IRA and then bam convert that into a Roth even if you weren't income eligible to do a Roth see I just made people's eyes totally glaze over (laughs) didn't I oh probably but that's okay Uh, that's the same look I got when I tried asking all my friends what they thought about this (laughs) so yeah that is what you have to do you got to take the hit on the taxes Mm -hmm. of what's in your Mm -hmm. traditional IRA convert it to the Roth, and so there's no penalty, but you pay uh, income tax based on your tax rate, and then that Mm -hmm. makes you eligible moving forward to essentially do a Roth IRA even when you're not income eligible to do a Roth. Okay. Well, I'm nowhere close to maxing out like my 401k or anything like that, but I only have 
about six grand in my traditional IRA. So I was wondering if it would be smart to do it now oh, before sure. compound interest. Sure, if you if like, you only have six grand in, just just uh, take the hit on the tax, and your mm-hmm. employer does not offer. I'm gathering a Roth 401k option yet. Uh, they do. I am putting in five percent there to get their four percent match. And then I'm maxing out my uh, HSA and my Roth IRA. So I'm just planning ahead a little. <laughs> this is fantastic. Do you know, <laughs> doing the HSA, which is which has even more tax benefits than the 401k or the IRA, is really mm-hmm. great. And if you can let that money just grow each year and not use it for unreimbursed medical expenses, it becomes an enormous advantage to you economically later in your life. Yep, you that's get, the plan. You get an upfront <laughs> tax deduction, the money grows tax-free, and then you spend it tax-free for eligible expenses, which makes it the overwhelmingly superior place to stash cash. And, mm-hmm. and how early are you planning to retire with all these things you're doing? <laughs> sounds like you're going to be in a great position to retire early. Uh, well, I'm 29 now. I'm thinking somewhere in my 50s I can maybe retire, but really what I want would be to work part-time because I like what I do, but I also like doing you know, other things that I want to do. <laughs> well, that is what you do. You create the freedom to do with your life what you like when you live on less than what you make. It pays off big time. Good for you. And Anthony is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Clark, how are you doing? Great, thank you, Anthony. So you have a home, you're looking at, should you keep it and turn it into a rental or sell it and just pocket the money? Tell me the background on that home, if you could. Yes, sir. So basically, uh, me and my wife are looking at getting houses. Um, I bought this house before we got married. Um, I bought it for about 120000 oh, about 105000 on it still. Um, but where I've been looking, either my realtor or um, any of the other um, realtor websites, it could sell between 176000 or 190000 Um So we're kind of wondering, you know, should we rent it and use that um, extra income or just sell it and maybe use the other, whatever we get from it to reinvest it or, or pay down the other mortgage on the other house? How much do you think you can get for it in rent per month? Um, the stuff that I've been able to find would be anywhere between twelve hundred and fifteen hundred. At twelve hundred to fifteen hundred, based on the current value of the home, it would make sense to sell it. Okay. Because you're not generating enough rent to really you'd be cash flow positive, mm-hmm. but you're not being as productive as you could with that money that you could generate from the house. If you could get somewhere one seventy to one ninety it's better to sell. Now, there's there's not much taxable gain there that that would be a reason to sell. It's really, if you told me you could get, um, let's say, 1700 or so a month in rent, I'd say that's a perfect rental scenario. Mm-hmm. But if what the rent would bring would be like 1200 then odds are it would be better just to sell it, take the money. Yes, sir. Um, and then on that note, if we do decide to sell, what do we do with that extra money that we made from the sale? We already have a significant amount saved up for a down payment for our next house. Do we just go ahead and 
put all that towards the new house and pay down our mortgage as much as we can or reinvest it somewhere else, what would your recommendation be? How much is your mortgage interest rate on the house you have? Uh, the one right now is 4%, and I think we could get about a 3.5% on the new house. And how are you, the two of you doing saving for your future? Uh, we're doing really well. She's maxing out her uh, Roth. I'm maxing out my Roth. I've also got a retirement uh, work through pl- uh, two retirement plans through work. Um, so one of this automatic 7% deduction, and then another one I've doing 6%, but plan on going up 2% each year. So so you're handling money so well, there are no bad choices from here. Okay. So uh, you could put the money in savings, uh, so you could make a bigger down payment when you buy the next property. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really pretty much all you could do. If you have kids who you think you'll send to college, you could look at putting money in a college savings plan, a 529 plan. Do you have kids? Yes, sir, we do. We've already uh, started a 529 for the one we've got. So um, so that would be more, as expensive so. as college is. If your family culture is college is what's going to happen, mm-hmm. then maybe i do a 529 plan. But since you live in Texas, don't do the Texas 529 plan because it's pretty miserable as a plan. On my guide at Clark.com, I walk you through where that money should go instead of in the plan if you live in Texas. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, you can post a question for me at Clark.com slash ask. And every once in a while, you'll hear producer Joel ask your question for you. Whose question you got, Joel? Clark got one from Jeremy. He says, what website do you recommend for comparing car insurance policy quotes? This is such a frustration to me. This should be an easy thing to do. The problem is most auto insurers do not want you to be able to comparison shop. They might even run ads saying they want you to comparison shop, but they don't mean it because they don't want people to just find it easy to, when they find a better deal, to just move. So the only people that seem to be doing a decent job with it is policygenius.com. And so you can see what kind of quotes you can get with them. The other way you do it, this sounds so like 1990, but you pick up the phone and you call one insurer after another and get quotes on identical coverage to see who is cheapest. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.